0: You never quite know when you come up to the mic how loud it's going to be. So you just speak and hope for the best. So I hope everyone can hear me all right. I hope it's not too loud or too quiet. If it is, then, I don't know, throw something at me during the sermon. We'll see how we go. Um, a warm welcome to you this morning. It's lovely to see you here. Apparently we're, we're in kind of Chinese New Year, is that right? Yeah, I, I know nothing about Chinese New Year, but apparently we're in it. Um, I don't know if you had a really quick uh, tuk-tuk ride here this morning, if that was very easy. Uh, we ordered some Burger King last night, and it came from Toll Cork to our place in about seven minutes. It was, we weren't quite prepared. We were upstairs busy. Um, but it's lovely that you can make it here this morning, and it's, uh, it's a wonderful time to be here. I think later on we're having a dedication for little Elise, which is lovely, um, and so we look forward to that. Um, but we've got a cool passage that we're going to be looking through too this morning. It's got some interesting things in it. Um, here at CCOP, we try and follow uh, the rhythms and the calendar of the Anglican Church, the rhythms and calendar of the Anglican Church. And today, as we kind of mentioned already and heard already, today's a special day. And it's extra special because it kind of fits right in the middle of two special occasions in the, the Christian and the Anglican calendar. It's right in the middle. Now, does anybody know the special name for today? Not Transfiguration Sunday, it's kind of one of the names for it, but does anyone know the other fancy name for today? I'm so disappointed. That's, you should all know, no actually, it's, it's, I, I had no clue, Apparent, and I always get tongue-tied twa- tongue saying it. Apparently it's Quinquagesima Sunday, Quinquagesima Sunday, did you all know that? Of course, from the Latin Quinquagesimus, which means 50th. Today is the 50th day before Easter Sunday. Uh, It's the last Sunday before we enter into a period called Lent in the calendar as well, which is when we set our eyes uh, towards Easter Sunday. Uh, Interestingly, while I was looking at it, there's other names for today. We heard it's called Transfiguration Sunday. Uh, In my home church back in New Zealand, they call it the Sunday next before Lent. Very boring and unoriginal. I much prefer the other one. Um, But my favorite, apparently it has been called Pork Sunday, Pork Sunday, Um, because people would increase their meat intake before fasting for Lent. So Pork Sunday, is that going to catch on, Will? Yeah, Yeah, we'll see, we'll see. Maybe next year, Pork Sunday. But as you heard, another name for it is Transfiguration Sunday, and we can see from the passage that it's going to be tied into that. So that's, that's leading up to Easter, the, the time period kind of going towards Easter. But we're also at the end of a time period following Christmas. Now, does anyone know what that is called? You should know, Will, you've been preaching on it. Epiphany, good, good. I was hoping someone would say, we're in the period just at the very end of epiphany. Epiphany, and epiphany means to reveal, to reveal, and all the passages that we've had since Christmas have been on this sort of theme to, designed to reveal something more and more about Jesus, showing us that he's more than just a man. And as we look into our passage from Mark today, you'll hopefully see both of these things come to light, that you'll see that it's fantastic for both of those things, for revealing who Jesus is, as well as pointing us ahead to the cross. And and I hope that as we look into it, we'll be encouraged in what we hear about Jesus and who he is, as well as challenged by the command that we hear from God. Uh, Let me pray, and then we'll look into our passage. Father God, I, I thank you so much for today. I thank you always for the opportunity, for the delight and the privilege that we can gather together as your people. I thank you for your word, Father, and I pray that as we hear your word Uh, that you will change our hearts through your Holy Spirit to to be more like Jesus. Please, Father, encourage us as we need encouraging and prod us where we need prodding. Uh, Please work in us so that we can bring glory to you here on earth. Amen. So I said we're kind of right in the middle of these two kind of periods in the Christian calendar, but the, the passage that we heard from the book of Mark is almost right dab smack in the middle of the book of Mark. And it's coming at this pivotal moment in the book of Mark. It's this really, this hinge point in the book of Mark. See, right up until now, Jesus, he's been racing around, he's been gathering disciples, he's been making enemies, and he's been showing his power and his authority in different ways. He's been showing his power and authority over sickness and death, uh, over, over demons, He's been showing his power and authority over the natural world. Uh, he calmed a storm. He walked on water. He, he uh, multiplied. He fed thousands of people with just a small amount of bread and fish. And the whole first half of Mark is causing us to ask the question, who is this man? Who is this man? That's pretty much what the whole of this first bit of the book of Mark is doing, causing us to go, who is this man? And then just before our passage today that we heard, just before our passage in Mark chapter 8, there's this crucial moment in the book where Jesus turns to Peter and says, well, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Peter replies, he says, you are the Messiah. It's fantastic. Good old Peter. You're the Messiah, the one chosen by God, the one that the whole Old Testament is pointing to. Uh, as being the rescuer for the Jewish people. And we have this huge moment as Peter identifies Jesus correctly. Good old Peter. But if you know the story, if you know the story, you'll know that the very next thing that happens is that Jesus is teaching about what the Messiah has come to do. And Peter, he kind of does a big flip-flop, and he rebukes Jesus. He says, hey, Jesus, are you sure you know what you're talking about? Not, Not the wisest thing to do and he tries to steer Jesus away from this path. And Jesus corrects him rather firmly, if you know the story. So at this stage, we're left with the idea in our minds that Jesus is someone pretty special. He's this Messiah, but we're still left wondering what this means. And so we come to our passage in chapter 9. And in essence, we've been given a glimpse along with Peter and James and John, into the reality of who Jesus really is. Now, we're going to walk through it, but there's so much that I'm not going to be able to talk about. It's, it's, a, it's an actually really packed passage with so many things, so many Old Testament imagery stuff in there. Um, you could almost do a sermon on every single verse, almost every half verse or every word you could do a whole talk. Um, If that frustrates you, come and see me after the service, and we can talk about the stuff that you're interested in. But today, we're not going to focus on everything, unfortunately. So it'll be up there. You can follow along. Sophie's fantastic. She'll keep up, won't you? Yes, lovely. So we see our passage starts in verse 2 of chapter 9, where Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up a high mountain, where it says that he was transfigured before them. He was transfigured before them. See, uh, my favourite toy growing up were Transformers. I loved Transformers. I don't know if you know what Transformers are, or I, I really hope you do, because they're awesome. They were a toy, and the gimmick with them it was that they could transform or change from a robot into something else. Usually it was like a, a car or a plane or an animal or whatever, and they were awesome. Does everyone know Transformers? Yes, thank you. They were awesome. And, and the toy had the tagline more than meets the eye, more than meets the eye, that what you see on the surface isn't quite the full reality. And it's a similar thing with Jesus, transformers, Jesus, it's a similar thing here with Jesus, isn't it? Now, the word transfigured means to be transformed into something usually more beautiful or elevated. And it doesn't go into it in our passage, but in Luke and in Matthew where it talks about it more, it says that Jesus' appearance of his face changed, and that his face shone like the sun. It says his clothes became radiant, intensely white, and Luke's gospel says like a flash of lightning. But the intended meaning is not really a transformation that's happening to Jesus, rather it's an unveiling It's an unveiling. It's showing us Jesus' true identity, who he really is. I don't know what picture you have in your mind when you think of Jesus. Like if someone's talking about Jesus, what kind of picture pops into your mind? If you've been brought up in the church from a young age, you might picture a guy with a beard, with a white robe and a blue sash. I don't know, that's how all the pictures were when I was young. You might picture him from a favorite picture you've seen or a painting or how you've seen him represented in a program or something like that, like The Chosen. Or you may think of him on the cross. But for most people, when we think of Jesus, we picture him as a man, don't we? At the least, there might be a halo over his head or something, but we always picture him as a man. I don't think many people will picture him as the image that we see here today. But friends, the the truth is that the Bible teaches us that Jesus, he was fully man, but he was also fully God. He was both. He was fully man and fully God. And and we say that every week here in church when we do the Nicene Creed following the sermon. We say, um, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Jesus was fully God, and he was fully divine. And if you think of how majestic and incredible God is portrayed in the Old Testament, that is Jesus too. And it's the only way that he could have paid the price for our sin, by being fully God and fully man. Now, I, have no, I don't understand it at all. I cannot comprehend it. My, my brain is too small to comprehend how that works. I have no clue how that happens. Fully man, fully God. I don't comprehend it. But that's what the Bible teaches. And the thing is, the world wants to see Jesus as just a man, doesn't it? The world wants to see Jesus as just a man, a wise man, a good man, a good teacher maybe, someone who said good things and that you could follow, but definitely not God. And friends, we have to be careful that we don't see him as just a man as well. And we do that when we only look at the good works that he did on earth and focus on that and point people to that. And the works that he did, they were good. They were definitely good, and we should follow his example in lots of ways. But they weren't the reason that he came. They weren't the reason that he came. It's not like he had a successful ministry here on earth only to be ruined by the cross. No, Jesus is fully man representing us all, yet spotless and perfect as fully God. He died in our place so that we could be perfect and spotless before God too. And here in our passage, the disciples and us are getting just a glimpse of the true glory of Jesus and who he really is. What a privilege. Uh, We'll keep moving on. So as we keep looking at our passage from verse 4, we kind of see some strange things happening. And I love how Mark does it. He just glosses over incredible events so quickly. You know, uh, it says, There appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Uh, It doesn't say how they knew they were Elijah and Moses. I doubt they were wearing name tags or anything like that. But we have the sudden appearing of two of the great prophets of the Old Testament, Elijah and Moses. And I I do love how Mark just isn't describing this incredible situation. He just says it so simply. Now, there's different views about why it's Moses and why it's Elijah. Some say it represents the law from Moses and the prophets from the Old Testament, Um giving full approval of Jesus. I'm not sure exactly. There's different um, ideas. I find it interesting, though, that the only time both Moses and Elijah are mentioned together in the whole Old Testament is in the book of Malachi, in the book of Malachi, right at the very end of the Old Testament, the last book, and they're spoken of in a section which speaks of the days of God's final judgment. And it says in Malachi 4.4, it says, remember the law of my servant Moses. The decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. Uh, To put it simply, Moses and Elijah are simply another grand, but just another way of validating who Jesus is. There's so much more about that, and if you're interested, talk to me afterwards. And then we have Peter again. Peter, I love Peter. Peter comes and chimes in, and he says, Rabbi, it's good that we are here. Good job, Peter. It is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, for he didn't know what to say, for they were terrified. And I can very much relate to Peter here. I can very much relate to Peter here. All this incredible stuff is happening all around him. They had no warning. They were just going for a nice stroll with Jesus. And all this stuff is happening around him. He doesn't quite know how to cope. So he just does the best thing to mind and says this. But thankfully, God turns up and, show, and explains the situation a bit better for us. It says, and a cloud overshadowed them. And a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. I think it's always handy in the Bible when God turns up and explains something. It makes it a lot easier for us. There's only two times in the whole Gospels where God audibly speaks. So it has to be important. We have to prick our ears up and take note when that happens. He speaks here. Uh, Where else does he speak? Yeah. Yeah, at Jesus' baptism. Both times it was affirming who Jesus is. This is my beloved son whom I love. But what's the new thing this time? Yeah, listen to him. This is my beloved son, whom my beloved son, listen to him. So what does that mean? It's God's command, so it's got to be important, but, but what does that mean? Now, I don't think it's talking about how God speaks to us today. See, and that, that's a huge topic in itself, and I hope you're not mishearing me. It's a huge topic with a, a wide, massive range of opinions, from, from God doesn't speak to us at all today, apart from through the Bible, to God communicates to us daily through different means and methods, and we just need to listen. Now, I'm not going to go into this now, because I don't think that's what the passage is talking about. But I want to challenge both extremes. I, I, I think both extremes should be challenged a little bit. Firstly, God is God, and we have to be very careful in saying what he can't do. But I remember, I remember reading a book, I can't remember what book, but I remember reading a book a while ago which cautioned Christians who relied more on their inward promptings than on their Bible knowledge to decide what they're going to do in a situation. I think both extremes need to be warned and, careful and prompted. So what does it mean in our passage then? I said what it doesn't mean, what does it mean? Well, I think it's simple. I think it simply means to listen to what Jesus has said in Scripture. What Jesus's words were while he he was here to listen to what Jesus has said in the Bible, and and there's three areas that I want us to think on as we finish up this morning. Firstly, we need to listen and hear deeply the good and encouraging things that Jesus tells us in the Bible. We need to be reminded of them. We need to hear them. We need to remind other people of the good and the encouraging things that Jesus says in the Bible. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And he says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And I'm sure you've got many passages which, in your mind, which are, can be an encouragement to you and to other people. And, and hold, hold fast to those promises and encouragements. We need to listen to Jesus. Because so often the world will tell us otherwise, won't it? It'll, it'll tell us of other things that can make us happy, uh, or satisfied, or fulfilled, other ways. Things which might sound good, but will ultimately lead us away from God and often to worshiping ourselves. We need to listen to these encouraging truths that Jesus says. But secondly, and a bit harder, we need to listen to the hard things, the challenging things that Jesus says too. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. He says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. He says you cannot serve both God and money. He speaks of the reality of hell. He tells us to repent. And he tells us to forgive, to forgive repeatedly and from the heart. The the hard things to hear, but we need to hear them. See, both the encouraging things and the challenging things come from Jesus, and we need to listen to him and to know them deeply. And there's going to be different times in our lives when we, when we need to cling more to the promises that Jesus gives us. But there's also times where we need to be, to be prodded, where we need to be reminded that sin is serious, that God is holy, and that people desperately need to turn to him. And, and finally, the last thing I just want to say this morning is, and most importantly, we need to listen to what Jesus says about what he is here to do to seek and save the lost, to set the captives free. And in order to do this, he must suffer many things, be rejected and killed, and give his life as a ransom for many. Friends, today is Quinquagesima Sunday. It's 50 days before Easter. See, our church services in this time are gonna allow us to reflect on what this means, on Jesus's journey to the cross. And I pray that you're able to do that in your own lives as well, that you can listen to Jesus's word, that you can be humbled by what he has done for us. Let me pray. Father God, I I thank you for your word. I thank you that we are privileged to get a glimpse alongside Peter, James, and John as to your glory. Uh, Forgive us when we treat you like a man, when we don't honor your words, uh, when we seek to go our own way time and time again. Father, help us through your Holy Spirit to to desire to obey you, uh, to want to follow you, to hear the encouragements when there can be so many discouragements drawing us away from you. And help us to be challenged, to be more like you, to love our enemies, to love people so much that we point them to you. And Father, help us to be humbled by what you came to do, to live, to die uh, for us on the cross. And not to stay dead, but to rise again uh, so that we could be one with you. Uh, Help us to follow you our whole lives. Amen.